Hi, Ron Casey here, uh, bringing yet another episode of Massive Action Podcast where we interview entrepreneurs in the real estate space, of course, uh, locally as well. So uh, dive deep into their mind, their entrepreneur's mind, and see how they are able to achieve Maxi action and then Maxi success. All right, so today we are very excited to be able to introduce one of the uh, long-time uh, real estate uh, salesperson here in Singapore, uh, Tyson. So without further ado, maybe I pass the mic on over to him to properly introduce yourself. All right, Tyson, please. Yep. Thank you, Casey, for the invitation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have been in the real estate uh, industry for almost 15 years. Yeah, I started Myself, as, uh, my first career is uh, as a fitness trainer and gradually uh, I moved up the ladder, corporate ladder to a fitness director in charge of uh, six mega gym. Previously, it's known as a Planet Fitness and a team of 100 over trainers. So as gra- gradually when I come, I worked so hard that I do not find time uh, to plan my future. So that's where I go into entrepreneurship and real estate. So in 2008, I lost everything, uh, my saving, my, my mom, and uh, that, that is on the Lehman Brothers crisis. I started to jump into a real estate. It's a big risk. I do not know where I headed to, but uh, the first two years is very, it's a struggle. Uh, ultimately, on I, I managed to uh, find a way to the success. So in 2011 onwards, uh, I, I was uh, one of the producers for a few years. I made quite a bit of money. And 2012 um, is the year that I stepped into entrepreneurship. And... What actually uh, interests me in entrepreneurship, because in 2011, there's a lot of, uh, I I serve a lot of China buyer. In fact, 80% of my sales come through China network. Beautiful. Yeah. Very interesting to be in in a niche that I think not many in Singapore are exposed to. Maybe tell the audience, you know, what's the niche that you probably are at right now? Okay, 90% of clients are overseas overseas base so uh in terms of my target audience my niche is to is serving ultra high net worth offshore investors china indonesia malaysia now in the real estate space now i focus mainly on uh, commercial reality investment so over the years i have helped my clients to build a portfolio of a commercial reality i think now easily you can value at a uh, 150 million USD. So uh, constantly built on this uh, portfolio. So I will see myself as as a small REIT fund manager, managing portfolio, building up undervalued property. All right, talking about commercial real estate, I think uh, it's something that a lot of uh, people in Singapore are not very familiar with, I would say. Yes. Right, because uh, the rules are different for residential. Of course, we are very familiar with residential, HDB, the condo, the lender, they see, you see that everywhere. But when we go down to downtown, etc., we look at commercial, it's an entirely different game. I think even the bank look at it in a different way. So maybe let the audience know, how then do people make money there or how and second question is how then to normal singaporean like um like me right are able to get our food in and probably make some money there as well okay the opportunity and pitfall of a commercial real estate is that 
Okay, when we talk about the downside, it's intransparent, not efficient. It's more of an art than, than science. When we talk about commercial space, two identical units side by side, well, one is uh, you, the usage can determine 50% of the value in terms of rental and uh, the selling price. So actually to, to get into commercial reality segment, I have actually learned from a lot of mistakes. There's a lot of traps. There's a lot of uh, so-called, I got scammed. I, I met uh, hypocrites, you know, it's a big lesson learned. So trust no one, always do the due diligence. Before making offer, we have a black and white. Everything the offer will be subject to contract of the terms and conditions. But luckily, your, I guess your buyer have you to do all these due diligence that they, they, they didn't manage to go through like this kind of scam and hypocrisy. So I think that's one of the, the many pros of engaging a professional in, in this aspect. Your, yes. your interests will be protected, right? You, you have someone on your court to actually help you and actually fight for you for your own interest, right? That's really interesting. Let's go a little bit more towards uh, today's time. Everything is inflated right now in 2022 while we are shooting this episode. We have probably recovering from COVID-19. Residential properties are through the roof. I think 20 plus months of increment for the residential segment because I'm in there. Uh, how, how about in commercial? Commercial property is at uh, all-time high. The, the price has gone to a level that I, I'm trying to make sense of it. Well, the good is that I managed to build a, a portfolio for one of my clients during the COVID lockdown without viewing the property and the property is vacant. We built a portfolio of value at uh, more than 60 million. The value of it has increased at least 30 to 50%. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. Right, so, so do you think that, right, with, with the whole time hype in the residential property market and the commercial property market, is there still opportunity now for, you know, people that are looking to buy in if, let's say, they have the money? Okay, I personally, there's a, I have a three rules or three key elements when coming to real estate investment. Okay, share with okay, us, Rule please. number one, do not, time the market. I, I learned the lesson my, myself, 08, you know, when Lehman Brothers crisis came, everyone is saying that it's a L, U, sell and buy back later. I didn't follow. Few of my friends sold and couldn't buy back. Second occasion is during the COVID, you know, it, it will be so bad, livelihood, you know, affected, life affected, sell and buy back later. Luckily, I, I did not, you know, in fact, we bought. So first of all, do not time the market. Secondly, always invest based on cash flow. If it is not for cash flow, it's not an investment. There will be always opportunity irregardless of market condition. Okay, if you follow the golden rule of the cash flow. Well, what do you mean by cash flow? Maybe enlighten a little bit of the audience here. Yeah. My golden rule to assess whether a commercial property is worth or not. Okay, I do not look at the current rental. For example, if a, if a commercial property can give you a 5% U at the current moment, the selling price is already factored in. So we will look for vacant unit as a rule of engagement at that kind of purchase price. Okay, for every $1,000 PSF of purchase, if I'm confident and uh, to fetch a $2 PSF of a rental, we'll go for it. For example, let's say, irregardless, let's say it's a $3,000 PSF on average. I will ask myself, can I fetch $6 PSF when the lease expires, when I actually find a tenant to fill up this vacant 
place. So how do you come up with this rule of thumb or, you know, it's just from experience, this $2 per square feet rental for every $1,000 per square feet of a price? The second lesson I have learned, we've seen so many investment property that guarantee high use. So one of the property that I come across, the initial asking price is 5 mil and it come with a rental of 15,000. That's quite an awesome you know, return. Agree. But uh, I work back the rental PSF is almost close to $14 PSF for retail space. I'm experienced with the knowledge of the rental. I know, okay, that area, if it's not an FMB, the most is $7 PSF. So eventually, we managed to secure the play at a $1 million discount. We make an offer at $4 million. Okay, it's $1 million different. The condition came back is that the property will be sold vacant without tenancy. So that tells us, know the renter, do not buy investment property because of the current rental. The tenant may not continue or may not be sustainable. So always buy fundamental, buy fundamental. value, right? Buy cash flow so that you can sustain. Is it is it, is the reason of buying cash flow because you can sustain or or what's the what's the thinking behind buying cash flow uh, properties? For commercial reality, it's an investment property unless you're using for own stay. Why I come up with the rule of every thousand dollars purchase price rented at two dollars, that work out to be two point something percent. Okay. That kind of a rental you is above the cost of borrowing, cost of fund. Okay. And potentially it can go further up. So if we see transaction of very high PSF, eight thousand PSF and the rental is only ten dollar PSF, then we can got to question ourselves, can we fetch sixteen dollars? Is the rental at the area going to that kind of level or not. So the, that brings another case study which I secured for my client during the COVID. Uh, it's at District 11. All the good facing is a strata retail transacted at 8,500 PSF and the rental is hardly more than $10, 7 or 8 So a lot of uh, owners who bought the project holding in and we come across one unit. It's the best, one of the best facing is a corner unit. We get it at uh, 4,000 over PSF half price of what that property is uh, being launched. And the rental, we are looking at almost $11 PSF. And the rental, the tenant is, we can see that the business is good, sustainable, and uh, they have renewed a second term recently. Wow, that's interesting. Mm. So, so cash flow is a big factor when uh, when we are talking about commercial because, I mean, I guess at the end of the day, mostly it's an investment property. You, you wouldn't be able to stay there like, for commercial property. Right, so, so what's the last point for the three golden rule of uh, investing? Do not time the market, okay? Always invest the cash flow. So thirdly is that always do your own due diligence. If you do not know where to do your homework, get an advisor. Now the difference between salesperson and an advisor. Salesperson is, is sales, sales driven. An advisor is client focused and result driven. So therefore an advisor will take the commission from the buyer side and that differentiate salesperson and an advisor because then an advisor will take care of the key interest of the purchaser. So, so really I think the level of trust between the advisor and the client is really important. And um, I, I guess the only way to, to differentiate between someone that is out for their own interest and someone that is really for your interest is from what you are saying, right? Is that you must do the need analysis 
analysis first la, and not product push, right? I think that's one very obvious way to do it. Okay, so th- thank you for sharing the, the three golden rule that we should stick by, which is one, oh, don't time the market, whether or not it's uh, up and down. I, I'm guessing you are saying that, you know, yep. whether it's up market or down market, there's always a deal, right? I, I interpret it as that. Secondly, always buy cash flow. I guess that, that means that you are always able to carry on holding on to the property even through the tough times. That is cash flow property. And lastly, we are talking about always doing your due diligence. What sort of due diligence you are talking about? Well, when you when we come into commercial real estate, uh, the due diligence is very wide. Not only when we want to check whether this property is freehold or leasehold, the usage is it can it be used for F and B? Can it be used for entertainment? The source of data to check is very wide you get to check from the sla ura and a lot of the shop houses because it was built 100 years ago there's no proper record to it even the owner do not know the built-in for example we only know the land size what is the gfa this will be okay investing in a commercial real estate is a combination of science and art and i think it's more of an art knowing the facts and data and trusting the gut feel actually you know successful business people and investors always tell you that they trust their gut feel the gut feel actually comes from years of knowledge and experience to derive certain formula so it's actually a data science okay built in our heart yeah that's called gut feel interesting yeah. All right, thank you for sharing all this. Then uh, I think I, I want to help the audience ask this question. At the start of the podcast, we say that everything is in place, that residential property, commercial property as well, right? Then where are the deals at? And how do you identify them? Right, where do you think, uh, Tyson, is the deal set right now in Singapore? Well, I get this question very frequently. In fact, some medias are getting an interview. We talk about inflation, a looming recession. Where are the deals? Well, when we talk about inflation, the, well, in a nutshell, okay, is too much of money chasing too little goods, meaning that the production capacity cannot match up with demand. So it's all about a game of money. So where the money is going to is very important. We follow the money, okay? So when we talk about inflation, construction is the human label. Construction has gone up tremendously. In fact, from my understanding, easily 30%. So if construction is up, then how the intrinsic value of the property remains and as well as the rental you know, will, will go up. So smart money will go to real estate, especially when we come about commercial property. Uh, one is exempted from the, the ABSD for a foreigner. It's a big difference. We are talking about 30% of ABSD of defense, a higher rental. And the other factor, a lot of uh, investors, in fact, uh, even a lot of uh, homeowners do not actually uh, recognize is that the changes of the uh, property tax earlier, you know, on uh, the residential property for non-stay or own-stay property, property tax can go as high as 36% if you cross 100,000 of uh, annual value, meaning that if the property can fetch 100,000 of uh, annual rental, I mean, that's, that's an easy interpretation of uh, annual value, okay? The property tax can go up to 36%, meaning that if I buy a property that is about 5 million, and we assume that 5 million can fetch 2 to 3%, you know, 
if five million property rent at about thirty thousand dollars worth of rental per year, then it doesn't make sense, right? <laughs> so we assume this five million dollars can fetch a hundred thousand dollars annual value. So you, you probably rent about eight to nine thousand a month. Imagine that you will be taxed at 36%. It's even higher than our income tax of 21%. Yeah, you know, previously, we used property tax to, to actually, as, uh, for tax exemption, you know, to, for our revenue tax. But now the property tax of a, a certain amount of a category of a property is higher than the revenue tax. And the key thing is that whether you rent it or not, you leave it vacant or you rent it, you are still paying at 36%. But for commercial property, it's still at 10%. It makes a big difference in terms of cash flow when you factor into property tax. So when you're talking about smart money, I'm guessing you're talking about institutional money. So or, or about cash, where are they going for? And, and from your experience, your 15 years of experience, where are the smart money going now? Well, I speak for my, my target audience are mostly, they are foreigners investors, institution or not. One of the key assets to hedge against inflation, for them is not gold. Okay. okay. For like them is, uh, they, they think that Singapore dollar is one of the best hedge against inflation because our Sing dollar appreciate against the bucket of uh, currency. So I do not want to coach which country. So for them to actually invest into a Singapore property, and the underlying asset is Sing dollar. Okay, that is a very good hedge. The statement. exchange rate risk. Yeah. yeah. And secondly, property uh, investment over here is very stable. Now, the key thing that will affect to me, okay, the key thing when I invest in a property, putting demand supply aside, is the stability of the poli politics and policy. Without a good government, a policy, you know, whether how good the location is, is still a fishing village. We can be, you know, like Singapore, right? The overseas investors, okay, invest firstly because we have a very good underlying currency, stable government, and the policy uh, is intact to keep the property market stable, non-volatile. At this point of time, with looming re recession, stagflation, interest hike, okay, we, uh, Singapore property offers a safe haven to them. Of course, everybody's uh, mind, inside everybody's mind is that when you're talking about overseas investors, they have uh, truckloads of money coming into Singapore. So that's foreign investor. But how about locals? If let's say, you know, our audience out there, right? Singaporeans, entrepreneurs, I think they have do well in their business or they want to dive. Probably they have maxed out their, the number of uh, residential property and, and probably they are considering, eh, do I have to pay ABSD for the next one? Or commercial property? Right, with like this sort of beginner commercial investor, what would you suggest to uh, wet their toes, you know? To get us a deal, to make some money? <laughs> well, it's like for a beginner looking to invest in commercial property, there's no textbook to it. That's why I'm, I'm trying to write a textbook, okay? Thank you. <laughs> I'm, on behalf of the industry and the audience out there, thank you for doing that as well, yeah. But, you know, Seriously, how, how do people um, dive into commercial, right? Because that is really lucrative. And, and like you mentioned, right, everything is, is, is like throwing you into a deep end of the pool, right? So there, there's, there's no guide, there's no... Even salesperson, even agents themselves, a lot of people 
don't know this this scene well. Because when you talk about commotion, it's really a wide spectrum. You have industrial, you have hotel, retail, offices, shop house, and shop house can be used as an office, hotel, and retail as well. So it's quite a wide spectrum to read. So the the key thing is that uh, when before a investor come into a commercial uh, reality investment cash flow is the key thing you know when people question you know is it a good investment to flip you know i never believe in uh, flipping of property you know i believe in investing at a good cash flow okay if the price appreciate that you think that if you don't sell it's a waste Oh no, another case study I want to share. Last year, I think we are at the second phase of lockdown. FMB are suffering. We come across a shop house that has vacant for more than a year. There's no buyer and this deal come on the, my table. It's about asking for 5.4 mil. I got my Indonesian buyer. We deal on the spot okay, at 5.5. For them, at, they are still in Indonesia. you know. And one year later, out of nowhere, offer coming at 8 mil, 9 mil. Actually, we, it wasn't intent to be sell, you know, to be sold. You know, we, we actually, actually tenanted in a very good tenant with a six-year lease. It's a cash flow property, you know, put, and it's very good potential. But the final offer came in at 10 million. Double, close to double. double. So in, in one year. In one year. <laughs> in one year. So I question myself at this price, this PSF, how long will the renter catch up? Because we are talking about a property at District 7, you know, a non-CBD. You know, I have a portfolio at CBD District 1, talking about Amoy Street. The average renter is only at $7, meaning that the PSF is about 4000 but over there it's transacted way higher. So out of CBD, okay, if the PSF has crossed 4,000, I question myself whether can I fetch $8 PSF on average? Uh, the question is very tough, you know. Eventually, I discussed uh, with the investors is that to actually accumulate a rental of 4.5 million, which is the capital yeah. gain, it will take 10 years. So um, it's a good exit point uh, to exit, yeah. So that's one of the experience we go for. Initially, we didn't want to flip. We, we go for value, cash flow, and suddenly out of nowhere, it's a windfall of an offer came in. I, I didn't even market the place, you know. It's a cold call to make an offer. Wow, beautiful. I think your, your buyer definitely will be very happy. Then, then it's always about with the with the $4.5 million of profit. What's next? Making money too fast. There's also a concern, but it's a good good concern. So so, so then, then a, a question is, where, where is this client moving on to next i'm guessing there's a lot of confidence now in commercial realty now that you made 4.5 million dollars and just within a year that's awesome uh, roi it's awesome but the it's getting more difficult to find good property or uh, undervalued property but when we talk about commercial realty investment it's like finding a raw diamond that don't shine it looks like a stone Okay, but you know it's a diamond. Pick up the stone, polish it into a diamond. That enhances the value. La. For example, vacant, rundown, shop house. Actually looks haunted. So rundown is going to collapse. But looking at it, 
we have the confidence, we know that okay, currently is non-FMB, can be converted to FMB. By the way, if you convert a non-FMB to FMB, the, the rental will increase, we are talking about 30 to 50%. So in, in terms of the property value also enhanced. Then secondly, it's so run down, we need an A&A. &E. Can we increase the existing GFA? Existing, let's say, you know, the built-in is 2,000, but when we rebuild, can we maximize to 3,000? We, we study this case, and this is a real case. We acquire this such property just before COVID. It's meant for reconstruction. You know, we had architect submit plans, but COVID came. We couldn't get anything done. But you know what? Without getting anything done, we make change of use to the property. Okay, the client bought at three million. Okay, by doing by doing nothing, one year later, because of uh, the frustration, you know, uh, that they cannot do anything to the building, they still manage to exit at three point eight million dollars. So wow. eight hundred thousand. Yeah. Wow. wow, super interesting. Thank you so much for, for sharing with all of us all this case study. And definitely, there is money to be made here in Singapore commercial realty. I think uh, Tyson shared a few golden rules that he stick by and also use with his client, your client. Anything else to add uh, regarding the commercial real estate front and uh, to share with our audience? When we talk about commercial realty, I, I can share one whole day. <laughs> okay. I'm sure you can. Yeah, you know, even a, a full day seminar. That's why I started a commercial realty blog. Okay, that's commercialreality.sg. We have uh, property updates and uh, property blogs on uh, real estate. I'm coming out with my book on commercial reality investment. The book title is A System of Building Commercial Reality as a Portfolio. So it will be published uh, in about two months' time. We will look forward to that, of course. Uh, oh, before you, if let's say you are listening out there on the car or in the train, all the links will be down below, right? If you are watching it on YouTube, right, the links will be down below. When in about two months time, when the Tyson book is launched, we'll also send the link down in this current video, right? Uh, so thank you so much for sharing your wealth of knowledge. I think there's still more to be dug out from you. But let's move on to the next stage of, of this podcast, which is because at the start you you were sharing with us, you know, the struggle of being an entrepreneur, right? I guess entrepreneur for longer time that you have been a real estate salesperson right you have been in real estate for about 15 years maybe share with us a little bit of the background of, uh, about yourself like previously you were saying that you used to be in the fitness industry and what prompted you to change and maybe just just share, share with us you know your life story we would like to i would like to hear it well uh my life story is drastic or drama that the our company make it into life story video of six minutes started as a as a fitness director the period of time i worked 15 hours a day wow yeah i wanted to make my mom proud i was brought up single-handed by her so as a fitness director i thought i made her proud but i neglected the time with her because every time i step off the home she's still on sleeping when i came back she's sound asleep so the heat the impact came when she's diagnosed with last forced uh, last stage of cancer in 2007. So it's a devastating event for me. I realized that, well, pure passion and no time for family only bring regrets. So that that is the time I left fitness industry. I, I wanted to spend time with her. And 2008, she passed away. And I I lost, I lost my mom. My uh, I lost my career. 
I thought uh, I ventured into uh, uh, financial investing. So I took out one one and a half year of uh, wealth management, you know. So I thought of uh, being a full time trader. So two o eight came, it wiped out all my funds, my saving, and I'm left with nothing. So at that period of time, I'm. Can you imagine if it is a Murphy's law? That is a Murphy's year for me. You know, I lose my mom. I loss of direction, fall into depression, almost bankrupt. You know, my marriage is unstable at the point of time. So it's a big struggle uphill. You know, but God sent me uh, my first child during. Two o eight, and I diverted my my sorrows, depression, okay, into real estate, and I started real estate as a career. And because I believe that real estate is always there, so when we come about financial or stocks investment, when people ask me, when people say that it's a stable investment, but back in my mind, I'm thinking that if Lehman Brothers can collapse. Okay. Anyone can collapse. No, right? everyone can collapse. <laughs> right. So only property will always remain there. You know, if you are, unless the lease run out, you are buying a 99 year lease. So I believe 100% in real estate. So I stepped into real estate. The two years of struggle, I made a niche in the market in China buyer during 2010, 2011. Wow, how, do, how do you make this? A lot of people are, are, are very interested to, to serve foreign investors. Yes, right? yes. But how do you get get into that, that realm? Well, the same question was asked okay, by my bosses. You know, they wanted me to share. You know, how do I get my clients? Yeah. Is there a property guru in China? Okay, that strike business idea that there, there isn't. If there's a portal okay, in China, okay, uh, it's a China-facing uh, listing international market of property that would be interesting. So I, I went in that venture. Okay. okay, I started tech prop venture targeting at China buy in China. Okay, looking to invest in uh, international property. So, it, internet company really burns money. <laughs> you know, the first two, the first venture I came, I went in. I did not have any structure. A lot of mistakes. So eventually, we got, I got to restart my second venture after two years. So in, to, in total, I spent four years of a business venture in, in, into that space. But it burns up all my funding, my saving, my investor seeding money that I have left with no choice to drop the business and, and come back to real, uh, real estate to build my real estate, you know. A career to have a stable cash flow for for myself for my family, so that that four years of experience, what I did is that I travel to China frequently. I we work with uh, institution like the UOB China, Standard, you know, the private banks in in China. We do uh, property talks, property investment related talks, events, golf events, education events you know, to reach out to the target audience and to promote the platform. So that's how I get to establish myself in, in the China network. And I learn about the culture of uh, a China market because when I'm in Singapore, 
everyone is talking about the whole world is a market of its own. You know, you talk about uh, a market integration. When I'm in China there, I realized that the world, there's only two, two markets. You know, China and the rest of the world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I understand. Yeah. So because uh, China itself is, let's say the audience don't know, they are their own market. Yes. I think they are big enough to sustain the market of their own. And in fact, they, they actively try to cut out the rest of the world, right? So so it's, it's very difficult, like I mentioned, to go into that. And I think the four years of you stepping to try to do a prop tech company in, in China definitely helps a lot with all the networking uh, of all the private bankers etc so i guess it's it's not a the, the complete failure after it, it did help after right in your in your real estate career I, I, i'm just interested right fitness trainer fitness uh, director transiting to real estate transiting to prop tech startup what are the few traits or characteristics or skills that you think it can be transited from one after another what do you think like entrepreneur needs right to to really thrive uh, through all the tough times and the good times because I see that wherever you are right you're very strong in and, and successful in all these all these endeavors because one can see that hey fitness trainer and property entrepreneurship is totally irrelevant by the way you know, audience will look at me. Yeah, like now I need a personal trainer to train me. <laughs> Previously, you know, I, I started as a fitness trainer. So as a fitness trainer or personal trainer, it's all about client focus, what the client need. You know, do assessment, whether it's weight loss, rehab or strengthening, you know, it's all about to personalize the service to the client's need and to deliver result. When I come into the management as a fitness director, because... It's a fig, it's an American chain. So American culture always believe in KPI, KPI, KPI. No fluff. And on our forehead in the board meeting, okay, one golden rule is that you are always as good as your last paycheck. So this kind of uh, training, you know, actually lead me to when I come to real estate. I would describe myself. I, you know, when we when you talk about real realtor or real estate sales. There are two types. One type of people, they are natural salespeople. You know, they can sell ice to Eskimo. <laughs> the other type, you know, they are embarrassed or paise. You know, I'm, I'm the type, you know, that I'm, I'm, I wouldn't say that I'm a really that a, a, a sales salesperson, but I handle my client with heart. You know, they can feel my heart. I build trust. So eventually, I don't need a big pool of customers or a client, you know, Gradually, because, okay, during my personal trainer period, I train high net worth business people, you know, they are like top CEO, they don't have time. You want to get, get a 10 minutes time with them is difficult, but whether they like me or not, okay, they engage me of trainers, I will see them three times a week, you know, and one hour per session. And during that training, you know, I learned very in-depth knowledge on businesses, uh, investment you know some of them even share their real estate tips i got these tips from this client and i share to the next client and the next client went into that, that investment and make half a million you know within a few months and i was thinking hey that's interesting and i started real estate investment with that apart from themselves so so that's actually when i look back connecting the dots is all linked you know so when we come to an entrepreneur kind of uh, uh, experience. Entrepreneurship is an art 
of sales. Whether you are top CEO, whether you are at the level of uh, of a billionaire status, it's all about sales. How to how do you influence the investors, the clients, the target audience? So the art of sales that I have learned, the number one rule, okay, to influence people is forget about selling. It may sound very contradicting, but it is because when you don't connect the person okay, with an in, uh, intention of pure selling, okay, heart to heart, you want to deliver, you want to understand the person needs to deliver, the connection will, will be easily connect, uh, established. So, so to sell is not to sell. Yes. <laughs> from, from what I'm hearing from you is that selling is, is natural, it's actually not product pushing. Is really understanding the person's need and then to match it to what he needs, right? Which th that's why a lot of people out there give a bad name to salesperson because they are product pushing. In actual fact, I think sales in itself is a very noble career. That's why I'm in sales as well. Uh, to to match a solution to a problem that people are facing. Okay, that, that's that's an interesting another way of perspective to look at it. So from all your ventures, right, from being a fitness trainer all the way to being a real estate salesperson, then being an entrepreneur in the prop tech space, what have you learned that you can actually share with the audience? And then secondly, what is the characteristic trait that actually allow you to push forward all these years? Right, maybe we start with the first question. What what did you learn across so many years, right? of um, being in the field. As what I mentioned earlier, it's not how fast, how hard you hit because you will, we will be hit by rejections, failures, we will KO. We will always be knocked down and there will be people out there trying to put you down, pull you down. So it's, it is about how can you get up every time when you are down right there. So entrepreneurship is it's more of how resistant you are, how determined every time you fail, you pick up and you learn from the lesson. That is the key thing that I have learned. I mean, I've been through ups and downs. In fact, during the, the, the downs is that what drives me to pick up is my family. If I'm single, I probably would not have that kind of drive. I look at my, my wife, I look at my children and lying on the bed, you know, sipping on my alcohol. What would be, what would happen to them if I continue to stay as a failure? I don't pick up myself. That is actually the driving force. So again, the key factor to, I would say that, you know, to drive or success is not about ourselves, myself. There's always a driving factor outside me and that is the key energy that always energize me whenever I hit upon failure, come across uh, rejection and pitfalls. So throughout your many, many years of entrepreneurship, I would say even a salesperson, the entrepreneur itself, what is a, probably a one takeaway that you would like to share with, okay, for example, if let's say you were to be able to rewind the clock back to 20 plus, 30 years old yourself, right? 20 years old. What's the one advice you would give young Tyson? Okay, I grown up from a childhood uh, of low self-esteem because I, I didn't have a father. I was diagnosed with ADHD and uh, uh, dyslexic. I couldn't remember A to Z until even until primary three. So, so growing up this kind of, uh, I, has, I have a very low self-esteem. 
you know. So if I going to wind back, I will tell myself, Tyson, you are capable of doing something great. You may come across failure. You may be depressed, but you always pick yourself up. You may not be academic well in the studies, but because of that, the dyslexic and the ADHD, you can think out of the box. Okay, coming with creative marketing strategy for clients. Yeah, so I would I would tell if I'm going to ring back, why back? Okay. I won't change anything to my life. I mean, of course, there's a lot of pain. There, there's a lot of struggle. But linking back the dot, without all this struggle, pain, depression, you know, alcohol, it won't mold me into what I am today. There's a there's a statistics on entrepreneurship. On average, okay, successful entrepreneur feel three times, okay. And the average age of a, a successful entrepreneur is above 38. So I feel twice. Well, I believe the third time I will make it. <laughs> well, I'm I'm over the age of 38. So, so I believe that the next venture I will do well and I have not give up to uh, on, uh, on expiring to be an entrepreneur. In fact, I'm planning for my next venture coming up. Thank you so much for sharing all this. I think what 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 we have here from Tyson is that even when you fall down, it's common. It is usual and you have to expect that. I think the mark of being an entrepreneur is that you are able to pick yourself up. You are able to motivate yourself. And of course, you have to know what drives you, which I think of hearing from you is your family, right? So thank you so much for, for coming to today's podcast. Anything else that you want to share with us before we end off this podcast, Jason? Well, uh, thank you for, for inviting. The key thing, I think, to the audience is that the, I will end, up, end with a quote. The famous saying that is that uh, anything that don't breaks you or kills you makes you stronger. Irregardless, this quote is, can be used in entrepreneurship, sales, handle the relationship. Yeah, that's my final quote to the audience. Thank you so much, Tyson. We have learned a lot from you today, from your backstory to your three golden rule to, to sell is not to sell, right? Understanding your customer needs to really build relationship and at the end of the day, being an entrepreneur, right? How to motivate yourself, how to pick yourself up. I think we have learned a lot today. I'm sure this will not be the first and the last time we are hearing from Tyson. Of course, he is coming out with his own book. He has commercial realty blog that all the link will be linked down below. And uh, again, thank you so much for Tyson for, for taking time off of your busy schedule to be with us today to value add to all the audience out there. I'm sure you have learned a lot. And lastly, to end it off, right? To achieve massive success, we always have to take massive action, which is the title of today's podcast. Thank you so much, Tyson. All right, that's it. Thank you.